The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Esther, and I've been going to Story City, I think, five, six years now. I've lost count. (laughs) Um, I'm going to be reading the scripture today in English and in one of the Philippine languages, Tagalog. Um, Let's stand for the reading of the word. Philippians 4, 10 to 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received everything out received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm going to read in Tagalog. Labis akong nagagalak sa Panginoon sapagkat pagkaraan ng mahabang panahon Minsan pang ipinamalas ninyo ang inyong pagmamalasakit sa akin. Alam kong hindi ninyo ako nalilimutan, wala nga lamang kayong pagkakataong matulung ako. Hindi ko sinasabi ito dahil sa kayo'y pinaghahanapan ko ng tulong. Natutunan ko ng masiyahan maging anuman ang aking kalagayan. Naranasan ko, ko na ang maghihakos. Naranasan ko na rin ang managana. Natutuhan ko na ang sikreto kung paano masyahan sa anumang kalugayan sa buhay, ang mabusog o ang magutom, ang managana o ang maghirap. Ang lahat ng ito'y magagawa ko dahil sa lakas ng kaloob sa akin ni Kristo. Gayunman, ikinagagala ko ang ginawa ninyong pagtulong sa aking mga paghihirap. Alam naman ninyo, mga taga-Filipos, na kayo lamang ang iglesyang nakahati ko sa hirap at ginhawa nang umalis ako sa Macedonia noong ako'y nagsisimula pa lamang sa pangangaral ng magandang balita. Noong ako'y nasa Thessalonica na makailang ulit tuwing pinadalahan ninyo ako ng tulong. Hindi sa hangad kong laging tumanggap ng mga kaloob, kundi ang nais ko ay makatanggap kayo ng masaganang gantimpala. Narito ngayon ang katibayan ng labis-labis na kaloob ninyo sa akin. Higit pa sa kapangailangan kong tulong ninyo sa akin na hatid ni Epaphrodito. 
Ang mga ito ay tulad ng mabangong handog sa Diyos. Mga alay na katanggap-tanggap at kalugod-lugod sa Kanya. At buhat sa hindi mahubos na kayamanan ng Diyos, ibibigay niya ang lahat ng inyong kailangan sa pamamagitan ni Kristo Jesus. Purihin ang ating Diyos at Ama, magpakailanman. Amen. This reading of the word. Revelation chapter 7 says that every tribe, nation, tongue, and language will be worshiping in front of the throne room, in the throne room of God, at the throne. That is an incredible, incredible moment. And what a small taste whenever we have our scripture read in other languages. So thank you for those of you who have uh, been brave enough to stand up here. And you all look way scarier from the front than you do from the back. So it's a big deal for somebody to get up here and read uh, scripture. And there's always hard words. I mean, who says Macedonia in your normal everyday life. So, so good job, Esther. Thank you, everybody, for those who have uh, come up and done that. If you speak a language and you haven't been up here yet, we would love to, uh, to honor God in that way. So, again, good. Uh, my name is Jared. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. I'm so excited. We want you to know that uh, this is kind of a new season for us. Fall is kind of a kickoff. And so we are kind of hitting reset, and what I mean by that is we're, we're going back through a little bit of who our church is. We're talking about some of our core values. We're just sort of kind of getting us set as we move forward into what God has for us in this new year. And so I want to start by welcoming you to the Burbank location. I say Burbank location because we have a Granada Hills location. If you're looking around, you're like, where did all my peeps go? They are now at Granada Hills. And so uh, praise God. That is good work. Yeah. That is, we are super excited for them. And look, it's just like a, a mom letting go of their kid for the first time. You're like, I miss them. But it's a good thing, but I miss them. And so uh, we are thankful that uh, there are empty seats here for those that God wants to reach in Burbank because those seats are being filled at Granada Hills. So, okay, that is our deal. We have some foundational values that, that we share across our foundations, uh, across our locations, rather. And uh, one of those is that our story is God's story. What does that mean? It means that God is the hero of all stories. Jesus is the hero. We aren't the hero. We are not the author, perfectors of our faith. We aren't, the Bible isn't about us. We get to be a part of what God is doing. And as God redeems us, restores us, renews us, then our story becomes a part of God's greater story for the people around us. This means that every twist and turn of your story has value to God and to us. It means that no one is too bad or too mad or too far from God to matter to him or to us. It also means that we have to deal with life, right? So that it means that we are both real and redeemed. We are flawed and broken people. If you haven't figured it out, church is filled with hypocrites. Welcome. You know where liars go. Story City. Okay, anyway, just kidding. But we want to balance that faith and that failure, right? Failure is a part of our story. We would say that our limp actually enriches our legacy. The Bible promises that we'll suffer, but the things that we go through, God is redeeming so that even what the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. And we want to love our neighborhoods. We want to serve the neighborhoods we call home. We promise that we will live in and learn from the cities that we hope to impact. We will be more generous to our neighbors than they are to us. All right, in just a moment, we're going to jump into our scripture, but there's two things I want to do first, and one is I want to just highlight the Israel trip for you real quick. Uh, a bunch of you have told me that you want to go, which is rad, but you haven't actually signed up, and it's still first comes, first serve, and so there's actually more spots. Somebody said, hey, the spot's taken. 
Well, a lot of people have said they want to go, but until that spot is taken, it's not taken. So please do that now. But I want to share a story with you, and it's, it's why we go to Israel. Here's the deal. Um, God is God of the entire world, right? It's, it's, it's not like you can't meet God and know God here. But as you're reading Scripture, there's something that comes alive in that when we begin to um, see and experience the richness of the context of the gospel. So a perfect example. Jesus and his disciples go to Caesarea Philippi, and they're hanging out. And Caesarea Philippi is this incredible place. It's got this massive rock outcropping. I mean, it looks like some crashed battle cruiser or something. It's just, it's really incredible. It's massive rock. And in the middle of that is this cave that they believed was one of the entrances to the gate of hell. And so this supposed gateway or entrance to hell is right there, and they've built temples. So you had some ancient temples, you had a Roman temple, you had three separate temples that were built there. And it's this point when Jesus is standing in front of the supposed gates to hell, and he's looking at these worshiping uh, temples to, uh, to the gods that were in that area, to this, this massive rock outcropping, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And this is the moment that Jesus does something really interesting. He says, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But here's what's fascinating. When he tells that to Peter, he actually uses the word pebble. On this pebble, on this small thing I will build my church. He's contrasting this massive rock outcropping that has these temples built into the rock. And he says, not that, not what man thinks is powerful or big or good, but on this little thing, I'm going to build my church. And then when he says, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, He's standing in front of the little gates of hell. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's not the little gates of hell, right? You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's the way that they viewed it. And so what Jesus does is he uses the things around him to teach the messages. And you see that all throughout Jesus' teachings. And you actually get to visit and see that when you go to Israel, you, your Bible comes alive in a way that I just can't express in words. But I wanted to share that little bit for you so that you understand what we're talking about. Good? All right, the next thing is the minute to mingle question. Uh, like Justin said, was anybody actually able to answer that question? It's more thought-provoking than something we got, but, but what did you get? What keeps people from being content? Somebody said Amazon already. I heard that. What, what else? I could argue both ways there. I don't know. What else? Comparison. Whew. That's a big one. What else? Ourselves. Ourselves. Yeah, that's a big one. What else? Greed. Yep. Anything else? What was that? Time. Yeah. Yeah, those are good. Those are good. I think we could probably sit here and and knock a bunch of these out all day long, but it's good as we're starting to think about this. We're talking about who God wants us to be as people in light of who he is as God. And so today we're going to look at what it means to be content and then what it means to be generous because I think those two things are really linked. And the reality is, is that if we become generous people, and I'm not just talking money, right? You come to the church, you're like, great, there's a pastor talking about money again. I'm talking about how we live lives of generosity in all aspects of our lives. And as we do that, I believe there is contentment found that doesn't make sense in and of itself. It's just a part of the way that God works in us and through us. So let's go back to our scripture again for today. Philippians 4.10. Philippians is the New Testament. Bible's divided into Old and New Testament. Old Testament, Jesus has always existed, but Old Testament is before he was what we call incarnate. That's a big Christianese word, meaning that he put flesh on. And so when he did that, he took on human nature in addition to his God nature. And so he is God and man. And uh, New Testament, it starts from his birth. So Philippians is one of the letters Paul wrote. 
You'll find it after the Gospels. So keep going past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, after Acts and Romans, and you'll get into Paul's letters. You'll find it there. Chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. I love that. By the way, uh, we're family here. Okay? So uh, please don't feel like it's awkward if a baby makes noise, guys. This is family, right? If, if this was our living room, we wouldn't kick our own children out of the house. So we're going to be a church that is absolutely okay with babies crying, and I just want to make sure that we all know that. We're going to say that, and I, I didn't mean to highlight and embarrass this family, but I just want to make a point. Like, this is family. This is what we're about. So, okay? All right, so let's see. Uh, let me get back to verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphrodites what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. But first and foremost, we get to tackle one of the most misused portions of scriptures. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Mm, I love mis, misapplied scripture. Okay, I actually don't, but that's okay. When we read scripture, or any author for that matter, we have to understand context, right? And so if we take one sentence out of almost any author's stuff, we can almost make it say kind of whatever we kind of feel like it's going to say, and it's, it could be completely misrepresented, especially when we're not looking at what comes before it and what comes after it. And so we, we, we really want to understand what is the author's original intent? What is he saying? In fact, in Scripture, when you're, when you're teaching uh, as pastors, uh, we, we, when we try to draw out the meaning that Scripture says itself, we call this exegesis. We are exegeting the text. We're trying to figure out what is the author's intent, what is the Holy Spirit trying to say to us, what, is, what does it mean, and how do we learn from it? Eisegesis is when we read our own uh, uh, meaning into Scripture. In other words, we take a verse... And we say, okay, I think this means this. And then we preach on it, or sometimes we use it as a reference, and we move off of that, and we actually don't preach the context the author is trying to preach. And so we want to make sure that we are exegetical in this. This is one of those areas, one of the verses that gets taken and used eisegetically, not exegetically. All right, you guys are still with me, right? I nerded out a little bit. Thanks for hanging. Okay, so you've heard, I can do all things through Christ, Jesus strengthens me. Uh, or as our translation today says, I'm able to do all things. I'm, I'm sure you've seen this and heard this all over the place, especially tattooed on uh, athletes, right? See Philippians 4.13. Uh, last night, I got to watch the Galaxy destroy Colorado. It was awesome and barely hang on to their playoff chance. I mean, thank God we have the Dodgers who playoffs, what, last 10 years, last 10 times in a row. So thank God because the Galaxy, whew, that, was, that was a tough, tough one. Uh, I know, I know LAFC is in first place. Thank you. Thanks for bringing that up. All right. And listen, it was rad to see Chicharito at the beginning of the game on his knees at, mid, at the midline praying. 
That was a great moment, but that's not the context that Paul is talking about when he makes this statement. In fact, it's not even the best translation of this statement. The truth is, I can tattoo Philippians 4.13 all over me, really believe it, and I still wouldn't be able to dunk a basketball. I'd still be Filipino. So Paul must mean something other than you can do anything you want if you just mention Jesus. And yet somehow we've come to a place where that's how society uses that statement. So what's Paul referring to? Referring to? Some, uh, the word some translations render as I can do actually means I have the strength or the endurance for. Endurance is what it's talking about. He goes on to say all things. That phrase gives me strength or strengthens me means makes able to, to give me the capacity or the ability to. In other words, I have the strength or the endurance to go through these things, and we'll get to what these things are in a second, as long as I'm united to Jesus. It's literally saying, I can make it through all these things, as one author says, by the virtue of my living Union and identification with him who is my strength. In other words, if our identity and our security is found in Jesus, then these things are possible. Paul's saying there's no ability to do this without him. So what are the things that Paul references? Because he's being specific. There are some things he's talking this to. It's not all things he's saying these things. Verse 11 and 12, or all things within these things. Verse 11 and 12 says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need, Paul can endure both poverty and plenty, fullness and hunger, with contentment. That's the key here. That's the key. He can do it with contentment because of Jesus. Now, it's subtle, but it's a massive shift in the way that this scripture then applies to us and what it really means as we're looking at this area. And see, we understand that when we look at what comes before and what comes after, I can do anything in Jesus, because Paul is talking about what he suffered. He's talking about how he didn't have anything, and the Philippians were the only ones who supported him. Paul is intent to not say that we can do anything, and Jesus is our great assistant who comes alongside of us. He's literally saying we can't do it. Jesus allows us to see and experience things differently, to value different things in him. It's why the, the book of James says you can find joy in yourself and you're like, that doesn't even make sense. But when we understand that God is a God of redemption, that God is a God of turning things into what's good for us, then we know that we can actually go, okay, God, this is tough and I really don't want to be in this moment, but you know what? I know that you're going to do something great out of this. Whether it's something inside of me that I can't see and maybe I'll never see, whether it's character changing, whether it's just an opportunity to speak to somebody in a circumstance I never would have before, God is going to turn those things in us around and use them for the best good. And so we can find joy in things. God gives us a totally different perspective. And see, Paul gets this because in verse 13, he expresses his complete dependence on the power of God. He knew that wherever he went, he had this power to see things differently because of what God provides in him. But he also recognizes he doesn't just get to use that power and wield it like some tool, right? It's not something he can just kind of abuse to get what he wants. He's not manipulating or controlling God. His ability to endure is entirely dependent on Jesus working in him and through him. 
See, many of us who misapply this scripture to our lives, we do so because we're trying to do something outside of God's will. We hope to cover our actions in some sort of blanket promise, like, well, Jesus said I could do all things as long as I used his name. But power to endure, to handle all these things, comes inside the will of God. Paul expressed a crucial paradox here, a a kingdom way of living which is different than the ways that we naturally go to, our instincts. Paul says that he's strong when he's weak. He's independent, self-sufficient, only when he is dependent on Jesus. And so if you're taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. True joy comes from relationship with and reliance on Jesus. True joy comes from relationship with and reliance on Jesus. Paul says, I found the real secret to being content. I found it. It's Jesus is enough. Now, Paul isn't preoccupied with his situation. He's preoccupied with Jesus. His eyes are on Jesus, and this is the secret. Now, I know it sounds cliche. Just give me more Jesus. But the truth is, it actually is what's necessary for us to find this place of contentment. How do we do that? Well, relationships are built on trust. Every relationship, even the relationship with God, is built on trust. When we build a relationship with Jesus, we discover that he is faithful just like he promised. Jesus says this in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. It says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what do we eat or what do we drink or what do we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus said we can trust the Father as our provider. Now, it's not easy to live in this. It's not easy to live in this when deadlines pass and bills are due and things are hard. It's not easy to live in those moments. Paul understands this, though, and he says, still trusting God in the midst of all this is what leads us to true contentment. But see, that's only half the story here. Because Paul is content to receive and trust God for his needs. But Paul is also, because of that trust, generously giving himself away. See, you can't really give yourself away unless you truly believe that you are taken care of. And Paul believes that so much that even though he doesn't see where it's all going to come from, he lives a life of complete generosity. And he says, this comes because I trust that that will come. And so I'm committed to being a person of generosity. Listen, generosity isn't something we do out of our overflow. Generosity is something that means we give out of what we, what we have and don't have. Generosity is inconvenient. But there's something powerful and rich about that sense of security, knowing that Jesus will cover our needs emotionally, spiritually, financially, socially, everything. If you're taking notes, this is our second observation for the day. We are richer when we give ourselves away. 
We are richer when we give ourselves away. We, we, taught, a, we taught a sermon. We, <laughs> I preached a series here called Upside Down Kingdom, and it was the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' sermon in Matthew. This is an excerpt from that, this, this verse we just read. If you want to check that out, it talks about how so much of God's kingdom goes against our natural instincts. And that's one of the things Jesus came to say was the way that that I'm helping you understand the ushering in the kingdom of God is that it goes against kind of the things that we've been raised to believe are true, the things that we we naturally want to go to, our self-preservation. But the gospel of Jesus isn't just that we're saved, but that we're also sent. Jesus died on the cross in our place, and in doing so, he conquered sin and death and redeemed humanity back to relationship with the Father. Also, after he raised from the dead, he commissioned all of us who would follow him to go. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, go therefore. That's an, that's a, the word there actually means as you are going. So as you are going about your daily life, as you are going about where God already put you, as you are going to work, as you're going to the gym, as you're going to hang out with your friends, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The secret of contentment, then, isn't just trusting God and what he has and will give us, but trusting in how he's going to send us and use us as well. The author Henry Nouwen says, We are like communion, like the bread taken by Jesus. We are chosen by God, selected for a unique role to play in God's story. And as we recognize that we've been chosen, so also recognize the chosenness of all people. Like the bread blessed by Jesus, we too are blessed by God. We are called to claim our blessing and to bless others as we live each day. Like the bread broken by Jesus, we are also broken in so many ways, in our bodies, in our hearts, in our homes, and in our world. Jesus asks us to take up our cross, to claim our unique brokenness, and join it with our blessing as we move into service to others who hurt. Like the bread given by Jesus, we are also given. Each of our lives is a gift to those close to us, family, friends, those we serve, as well as the people we will never know. God has given each one of us as a sacred gift to the world. When we live like this, we actually, when we live uh, generously like this with our lives, we actually live generous lives in three ways. Spiritually, financially, and emotionally. Spiritually, financially, and emotionally. Spiritually, like communion, when we are taken, blessed, broken, and given, we're not just a reflection of communion, but a reflection of Jesus as well. Did you know that's our original job? In Genesis, when God creates humanity, he gives them a task, and their task is to be a reflection of who God is, how he loves, how he lives, how he leads. That our entire job is to bring glory to God, to actually point people to him, and we know we are broken terrible reflections of who he is but that is who God is redeeming us to be people whose lives point to him that means even in our brokenness or in our plenty our lives point to the goodness of God and his amazing love and grace see we build a relationship with God Micah 6 6 to 8 says what should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow down before God on high should I come before him with burnt offerings with year old calves would the Lord be pleased with, 10, 000, with a thousand of rams or ten thousand streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what is the Lord requires of you. Here's all that God requires of us. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with our God. 
God wants our heart to be his more than he wants us to do stuff for him. Financially, what does it look like to be generous? God doesn't need our money. He doesn't. But God sees giving to him as a reflection of where our hearts are. Jesus says where our treasure is, there our hearts are as well. And so as we start looking at God, what do you need? How do I, how do I bless people around me? Who's in need? How do I just take care of people? How can, you, how can I use what you've already given me to love on others? Listen to what God says to his people in Malachi 3, 8 to 10. They had forgotten this. They were refusing to take care of their neighbors. In fact, they were charging each other excessive interest Whenever they did give, everything they gave was out of some sort of sense of getting something back. There was no generosity. And this is what God speaks to the people of Israel. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. And finally, we give ourselves away emotionally. Acts 20.35 says, In every way I have shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said it is more blessed to give than receive. So we find true joy both in what Jesus has done for us and in being faithful to what he has called us to do, which in a small way is what was done for us. To die to ourselves the way that Jesus died for us, all of this can be summed up in what Jesus says the two most important commands in all of Scripture are, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the other, he says, is equal to it, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And listen, family, to love our neighbors as ourselves means to extend the same rights and privileges and grace and understanding that sense of like, I trust that your intentions were good. We do that for ourselves really well, but to do that for our neighbors is hard. Love God, love people. This is how we find contentment in generosity. Good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity to us. God, in every moment that we give, we're already, um, Lord, not doing something on our own. We're modeling what you have already done for us. You've given so much. Father, your word says that you gave your son to take the penalty from our treason on yourself. We thank you, God, for your great mercy, for your care. We thank you that you have, Lord, uh, so often provided when we couldn't understand or know. God, that you have been here with us even when we couldn't see it. Because as your word promised, you are faithful and true. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. Help us to be people who are generous to those around you, who truly love you and love them. In the name of Jesus, amen.